I've seen many examples in airlines where through lack of understanding of the economics drives bad strategies and mm. bad strategies lead to bad customer outcomes which lead to bad economic outcomes for the, for the airline, ironically. What we see a lot in the data is that if people have a fun time in their redemption, they think to themselves, well, that was fun. Let's do it again. So when we change to a revenue-based program, that behavior completely changed because it allowed us to introduce redemption levels much quicker in the, the life cycle of the member. And as soon as we saw people redeeming earlier to those low-cost flights and so forth, we actually saw that their spend behavior on a go-forward basis changed. On some of the lower value redemptions, they were cashing out faster than the, than the people who hadn't redeemed at all. And so I do get your point, Phil, about saying that, you know, any redemption is a good redemption. But actually, in this case, you could argue that allowing people to cash out at a very lower rate because they wanted to leave was actually bad business. And where it really, really works is where they want it, but they can't either afford it or they can't justify it. So you give them a little bit of luxury that they wouldn't ordinarily spend their money on, and that's where it really works. Hi, I'm Ian Pringle, and this is the Loyalty Podcast from New World Loyalty, where we help you make the most of your loyalty strategies by listening to us talk about what we like to talk about most, which is loyalty and loyalty programs. This week, we'll be tackling the question of redemptions and what role they play in driving loyalty and changing behaviour. To help me tackle this fascinating subject, I'm joined by uh, Phil Gunter in Australia. Hi, Phil. Good morning, Ian. <laughs> Hi, David. I'm David Feldman in Los Angeles. Hi, David. Hi, all. And uh, David Canty in Atlanta. Greetings. How are you doing? Very good. If I, we've got a mix of Davids again today, so I hope we uh, we don't get too confused you just go, on this just one. Just go Canty and we'll be good. Canty, yeah, okay, fair enough. <laughs> Brilliant. I've been so to get a things... lot worse. <laughs> yeah, I've heard you called a lot worse on this podcast, David. <laughs> Uh, so to get things started tonight, um, I'd like to all think about a question. I'd like to, like to all think about, um, do redemptions change behaviour? If you could write down your answer to that question, yes, no, or maybe, I will go around now and just, if you, I could ask you all just to give a brief introduction to yourselves and then the answer to that, that key question. So do redemptions change behaviour? Um, Phil, would you like to kick us off? Sure. Uh, Phil Gunter, uh, known for Virgin Philosophy Programme, but... Um, over the last six years, I've worked with basically loyalty in almost every industry. So uh, I've got definitely got a broad set of experience on this. The short answer is yes. My my experience is that a lot of people spend a lot of time focusing on the earn, um, but the real change of behaviour comes with the redemptions. And if it's a well-designed redemption, I've seen again and again and again, it can do two things. It can absolutely drive additional transaction, which in, in itself is, is good, but I've seen it where it's brought a customer back from being disengaged, bring them back. And I've also seen some really good examples where it's changed behavior as in made them buy different things. Um, oh, can which... you give an example of that? So the best example of that was in a, a fast food where the original uh, reward was a simple, essentially buy six, get one free. Um, and we realized when we, when we looked at it, the results, what we realized was what was happening was people that were habit you know buying every single friday we're just getting every six friday free and not changing anything um so we changed the program so that 
A, it was slightly less rewarding, maybe badly, but the, the frequent buyers could get added value. So the value of rewards was greater for the sites. And these guys were obviously frequent, frequent buyers. And so they, they then, most of them, or, or big group, uh, a, a, a big proportion of them, instead of just getting the free one uh, every six weeks, they would buy sites. And then, interesting, they would then continue to buy sites every Friday. So not only did it reduce the cost of the rewards by, by not displacing revenue they were otherwise getting, but it also increased the average transaction um, size going forward. Fantastic. And were there, was that a part redemption too? Or then when they were coming in to redeem and then buying an additional product when they were making the redemption? Or was it all in one go? They're actually getting the full cost of that redemption when they no, were making part. So they were getting a, 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 a item for free, but they would buy other things. So they would buy, it's a confidential one, but they would buy the main meal and then get the sides um, as the free, as the reward. Great. But in the following the week, they would, get the, they would buy the, wheel, the, the meal and the side. Brilliant. Okay, good. Really good example. Um, and David Fellman, could you give us an introduction to yourself and then your answer to the question, what you've scribbled down? Sure. Yeah. So, uh, so my my passion is 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 travel loyalty specifically. So, uh, airlines and hotels. Um, you know, I, 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 where, where the opportunity is to spend ninety percent of my time in that area. You know, uh, perhaps a little less on the retail side. Um, you know, I find the airline hotel space fascinating. Most recently, I've been working with the Radisson Hotel Group, and it, it's it's interesting because. Um, my firm belief, my big philosophy about loyalty is everything is about the customer, their emotions, uh, you know, and the fact that they're in it to get a reward. Um, and, you know, that doesn't, that's not meant to sound purely transactional in nature, but the reality is, is, you know, we have to think about what, what's actually motivating a, a customer to join a program, become a member. What's actually motivating a member to engage in whatever our desired behavior is. And perhaps, you know, to Phil's example, maybe our desired behavior is to get them to, um, you know, to instead of just, you know, if we think about Starbucks, instead of just getting a, a, a coffee every Friday, when they come in, you know, we want them to get a coffee and a bagel, you know, or and something else. Um, and if we can then get them to enjoy that experience, particularly if it's associated with redemption, that what we see a lot in the data is that if people have a fun time in their redemption, they think to themselves, well, that was fun. Let's do it again. And what that usually manifests in when you're looking at the data, the, the behavior you should be looking for is if you're tracking, say, again, I'll use Phil's example, you're getting a coffee every every Friday. All of a sudden, what we often see with redemption, especially after a member's first redemption, if it's meaningful, is that then they'll start to buy more frequently and their basket size will increase. So if it's an airline, we'll actually see their frequency of ticket purchases, um, the, the interval between ticket purchases shortens and their overall revenue contribution increases as well. Um, Qantas had a great example. They actually published this uh, in um, in conjunction with Quantium, um, where they found that the greater the number of Qantas frequent flyer points redeemed in a reward booking, the more likely that customer's next flight purchase was going to be a Qantas flight. So um, nice. if we think about this, the you know the more points redeemed. There was a very clear correlation to a higher likelihood of, of repeat purchase, uh, and that's just just one example. But it was fascinating to see uh, Qantas actually published a, a graph um, that, that showed that as well. And I mean, the, we we see this across all programs, we see this across all industries. But the key 
point I would just make is the, the reward redemption must be meaningful. If it's not meaningful, then we see cost, but without that activity bump. Yeah, I I don't think I agree with that. Um, well, I, I I've seen evidence that looks that has similar, but but actually is against that. But let, let, I'll talk about that when it comes to my turn. But um, I think it's a really, I think the Qantas stuff's really good. The the they, they've they've published some really good stuff over the years because they also published that thing on multi collection too, which showed that the more partners you collect at, the more likely you are to be more valuable to the airline. Was that in the same piece of work? You, uh, I think it was a separate document, but it was around this, around this, around about the same time frame. But yes, um, yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, the, to to your point, um, I know we're talking about redemption, but you know, the I think what the what the tie in between talking about multi partner earn and redemption is, you know, it's all about member engagement. You know, if you're giving the member a reason to find um, relevance in your program whether it's you know the the places that they can earn earn points uh points or miles at or the ability to have a redemption that's meaningful to them then it's relevant um so maybe relevance is the key word that's important yeah, I, I definitely support that i mean the um when, when we did a when i looked at this at, at avios we had we had a segment of customers that multi-collected but hadn't redeemed and they showed really strong collection behaviors and so you know i don't think in in, in certain circumstances collection is all for customers and they actually they doesn't really matter whether they've redeemed because they're still engaged um and i'm i once met a, a guy at a, at a at a frequent fire event um for an airline and he had he had millions of points millions and millions of points and he could literally fly every time on his flights and not have to redeem and yet he hadn't redeemed Ian, if I could just throw in, just I know we're digressing slightly from redemption, but just to throw another Australian example in of, of what you just said. So if we think back a few years when Woolworths um, broke off their relationship with Qantas and there was the whole, you know, there was the whole uproar of, uh, about that. And, you know, and the general consensus is, is that, you know, um, that was an error on Woolworths part, um, you know, and then they relaunched the program and it just doesn't have the pizzazz that it used to. But what the data showed at that point was Woolworths looked at their data and they said, look, all these people are collecting, but they're not redeeming their Qantas points. Um, so therefore, Qantas may, uh, sorry, Woolworths made the assumption that for a large number of their members, the relationship wasn't meaningful because they weren't, these members were busy collecting, but they weren't redeeming their Qantas points. And it turned out they were wrong. And what it was, was these people were very happy collecting, collecting, and collecting. They just hadn't got to the point that they wanted to redeem yet because perhaps it was more aspirational but the actual point of collection and engagement like you said with your avios example you know what these people were happy members i've seen a similar case where i worked for a client a a collection client who was absolutely convinced that the reason why a lot of people hadn't redeemed was because they didn't have enough miles and because the there was a certain you know there was a certain threshold of, of the earliest redemption for a flight and they were convinced that if they could get people up to that level they would they would be redeem and they would be happy and they it would put all the all the all the things up you know everything would be good and uh, so they sent they there was a shortfall that they sent out uh, an, an email which actually upped people's gave people the, the a boost up of points to get to the, the earliest possible redemption and encourage them to redeem and it was the worst performing mailing i have ever seen in my career because and i'm convinced it's because of your point uh, people will redeem when they're good and ready and also when they when when they when it suits them and when they want to do it and forcing that behavior 
is this this uh, this performed worse than the control group, and yet we were give it they were giving them free free miles. Um, so I mean, I think it absolutely backs up your point there. Um, don't force it. Um, now, now, um, David Canty, could we? Um, could you give your uh, answer and your um, and your experience on this? Sure. Uh, so Dave Canty predominantly worked in uh, airlines and hotels, uh, known for the JetBlue True Blue program, um, running globally um, loyalty for for IHG and previous to that Starwood. So I agree. Um, I do think that redemption uh, changes behavior. I've seen it uh, on multiple occasions. Um, the examples I will use are at JetBlue. Um, when we had a, what you would call a traditional program, the old programs based on miles flown and so forth, um, the hurdles to get to a redemption level uh, were a lot higher and less achievable. And because of that, members were essentially disengaged in the program. They felt that that North Star just wasn't achievable. So when we changed to a revenue-based program, that behavior completely changed because it allowed us to introduce redemption levels much quicker in the, the life cycle of the member. And as soon as we saw people redeeming earlier to those low-cost flights and so forth, we actually saw that their spend behavior on a go-forward basis changed. Um, we also saw a, a bigger interest in our co-brand card uh, based on the fact that somebody had already redeemed and seen, seen, uh, seemed to have really realized value. Um, and that so all of a sudden there was this kind of knock-on uh, effect uh, in the positive. First of all, in the positive from a customer and member experience. Um, and secondly, from a commercial uh, perspective to the airline. So are you, are you sort of saying are you sort of saying it didn't change behavior when it was when the when the rewards were seen to be too aspirate, too, too high. And actually, but when you changed to this, this model that actually you did see, are you, are you saying yes? And then sorry, no. And then Ex yes. Exactly right. Fantastic. Um, okay. When 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 the when the hurdles were were inachievable are less achievable for a bigger audience, um, that audience basically were disengaged. They didn't really believe in the program. Mm. And at the end of the day, the reason people join airline programs and the re is to is to ultimately achieve the goal of getting a reward flight. It's the reason that that's the reason why people join hotel programs. They want to get free nights. Yeah, and I, I think I think not getting that is sometimes a broken promise as well. It is, and in some cases, uh, you'll find organizations are trying to introduce uh, lower redemption options earlier. Um, and what mm. I mean by that is something other than a free flight or other than a hotel room. And while that uh, engages a small um, percentage, it doesn't, it doesn't meet the need the original need or the original intent of somebody uh, joining the program. So that's why it's always important to think about, even if it's on a seasonal basis or if it's in uh, low periods, think about how you would revenue manage your, your program 
down to the point where now I'm actually making it accessible for a broader audience to actually experience it. And once they do that, you'll get the benefit on a go forward basis. That's no, interesting. Um, and, uh, go on. Um, um, uh, and I'm Ian Pringle, and I've been on. I think I've been right. on every podcast, so I think people know me now. But um, I've I've got a long history in 25 years in loyalty, um, working in retail loyalty programs and and travel loyalty programs. When I was at Avios, we did a, a completely scientific look at what drives of the behaviours that result from redemption. And it's really interesting to your point, David, about what you've just said, because actually we looked at flights, we looked at hotels, we looked at travel, tra- other travel rewards, and we looked at low value redemptions. And we looked at it in four different ways. We said, okay, why do people join the program? And actually, that was really interesting because people join the program for any one of those reasons. I mean, flights was the biggest one. Um, and then the other, and then the others were, were a mix. Um, so some people did join the program because they wanted those lower value redemptions. And, and air miles at the time did have a, lo- a long choice of redemptions. Then looked at what the, the margin and, and engagement on collection. We then looked at the margin of, on redemption, and then we looked at the collection after redemption. So we looked at those four different aspects, and what we found was that flights was always good. So flights was was a was positive on um, people joining. It had positive collection behaviour, positive redemption behaviour, and it was it was good on collection after redemption. Although to be fair, all of those products performed worse after redemption than they did. So people people after redemption collected less, um, but against the against a control group of people who hadn't redeemed, it was far better. If that makes sense, and I I just think that's because you know you had to take it against that control group because otherwise you're saying have people have people le- left because they have redeemed or have people become less engaged. I don't believe that. I just think that in long term loyalty programs where you're collecting over a long period, of course there's there's degradation over time. So redeemers performed better than non redeemers. But the best performers were flights, and the least performing of those was the lower value redemptions you just mentioned. Um, because I think people were there was a, there was a lot of evidence of people cashing out. In fact, on some of the lower value redemptions, they were cashing out faster than the than the people who hadn't redeemed at all. And so I do get your point, Phil, about saying that you know any redemption is a good redemption. But actually, in this case, you could argue that allowing people to cash out at a very lower rate because they wanted to leave was actually bad business you could argue but well, i think ian i think the 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 i think both you and david raised some good points and it leads to kind of a a, a bigger discussion and that is is two play two big takeaways i take from your points number one in in terms of the motivation of members you know towards the goal of a desired uh, of a desired redemption you know the the redemption that you're offering them you know to david's point they need to believe it's achievable. That's the yeah. first thing. You know, if it's too high in price, they're just not even going to even consider the program to be relevant to them. But then the actual um, redemption um, reward has to be meaningful to them. And for an airline, that means flights. For a hotel, that means hotel nights. Um, if all they can ever redeem for is uh, a gift card, then you are going to see the behavior you just suggested in terms of cashing out, um, or at the very least, you're not going to see that positive um, post-redemption behavior bump in increased uh, frequency of collection, for example, that you would with those core, uh, more meaningful reward products. But um, the one of the, the points I was going to make, uh, besides just the fact that the reward has to be achievable and desirable, but you mentioned that even those people where you saw that bump um, post 
uh, post-redemption and flights were the best performers, but you did see that drop-off. And part of that reason that we see in a lot of programs, and I'm not sure if it's exactly what you saw in your data set there, but it makes me think that what we do see in a lot of programs, both with people collecting enough points or miles to get their free reward that they're after, but also achievement of uh, elite status in hotel and airline programs, is right before they get to that goal, we actually see accelerated earn um, in many, many, many cases. And it's this goal gradient effect uh, of members that they see that they're within striking distance of their free flight or they're within striking distance of the elite status tier um, to get to the qualification hurdle. And we actually see an acceleration um, of earning behavior right before. And then when they achieve the goal, we do see a drop off. But when we look at the large but do you think data that's driven by the, do you think that's Sorry. driven by the status um, aspiration or do you think that's driven by a redemption aspiration because I, I didn't see the evidence of pushing I, I have definitely seen the evidence of of changing behavior to get gain status but I've no I, I, I couldn't find it in the accelerated earn to get enough points to redeem maybe that's because of purchase Mars is now so ubiquitous that maybe we've given people a shortcut but I think I think there's a I think there's a lot of noise in the data, but I've I've, I've certainly definitely seen some data data results both in airlines and actually in in retail as well, uh, both in the say a coffee shop example and a car wash example, where as members um, as members both with airlines with status and um, with coffee shop and car wash are the three uh, paper data sets that I'm thinking about right now, um, those were rewards. As people need the reward goal, as members got close to the reward goal, they did accelerate their purchases. Um, and then immediately after achievement, there was a drop-off. But what was most interesting is that the drop-off after redemption didn't go all the way back down to the low level of accrual before they ever had their first redemption. It actually plateaued at a higher, uh, it bottomed out at a higher level. So if you yeah, think I've about a, seen that as well. I've definitely a, seen a that. step fact, up. After multiple, after multiple redemptions, I've definitely seen that. Um, I do know. think, I, yeah, I do think, and this is something that I used to uh, preach essentially at, at IHG. I do think it's the quality of the redemption and how it's delivered. Mm. And one of the things that uh, um, I used to speak to uh, all of our teams and all of our, our um, employees and even our owners was that we've got to get to a place where making the redeemed stay the most memorable stay. Um, that is the most important stay in the life cycle of any member. And the, the reason for that is because that is likely going to be the stay where somebody's traveling with somebody else. So they want to actually make an impression. Now, mm -hmm. if somebody, if their very first redemption is a poor experience, then they're basically just going to, to churn away anyway and say, you know what, I, I, got, I got something for my points and I'm, I'm moving on to something else. Um, but if you actually make it memorable and make that the one where you get the upgrades, that's the one where you get the, you know, the, the, the pool or the sea view or whatever, um, that's the thing that they'll come away with, and that's where they'll actually start seeing true value in in the in the program. And there's and a great sure retail. There are retail examples of that too, David. So um, I know when when Nectar was launched with Sainsbury's, Sainsbury's were very keen in the early days to get the redemption money back in because obviously as a coalition, the money's being earned in lots of different places. They wanted to scoop it up into Sainsbury's. 
But they actually, so they used to ask all the customers, do you want to redeem for that? Do you want to redeem for that? But they stopped asking that question because, I mean, I don't know, I never worked for Sainsbury's, but I'm convinced that it was, you know, at the end of your shop, if you've got, uh, a, you know, the, the person behind the counter just saying, you know, do, do you want just to pay for that with points? One, it's not an incremental sale. And two, it's a pretty dire experience. And I think this is where um, where Tesco really were clever on this because Tesco actually pay more out for loyalty redemptions that happen outside the store than they do inside the store. So they, they actually invest in, in the reward for you to redeem for a meaningful transaction outside the store at, at Pizza Express and other places, lo loads of different places, um, because they see that the, 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 the response after that is more meaningful. It was higher value customers, higher, higher, higher spend afterwards because it's a much more it's a much more rewarding experience than simply getting cash off your shopping. Yeah, it's a good example. I, I, I've seen a lot of grocery where um, where the grocer is obsessed about trying to drive um, more to them. It, it, yeah. it often it often fails because um, it's because it's such a uh, a necessary purchase that all you're doing is is saving often ten bucks and and the, and the customers just don't get engaged with that. Whereas I think Tesco were the world's best at um, you know showing that through doing something you have to do buying your groceries you can get stuff you want. Because that's my experience in this space is that where it really works is where you give someone something that they want, and where it really, really works is where they want it, but they can't either afford it or they can't justify it. So you give them a little bit of luxury that they wouldn't ordinarily spend their money on, and that's where it really works. And that's where you get yeah. the emotional engagement. And in these programs, it's very easy to start talking about transactional stuff, especially when you start talking, analyzing the data. Um, but we need to remember that these programs work best when you engage people emotionally, where they feel they've got something, they feel they've got some added value, and, that, and that's what we should always be striving for. Brilliant. So um, can I just bring a question in? So Anthony, Gray, Anthony Graham got, got in touch with us on LinkedIn. So, so he asked how effective awards can vary across industry sectors and across customer segments. And he pointed to Tesco moving away from cash discounts and airlines moving towards convenience and experience products. Um, so he was asking, so how does loyalty effectiveness vary by sector and segment? David Cantor, you've worked in lots of different sectors and segments. So, uh, could you could you handle that one? Um, yeah, um, I'll I, I, I attempt it. There's, I think there's a few questions in, in, in there. So it's basically, he's basically saying, how does loyalty effectiveness vary or redemption effectiveness vary from sector and segment? Yeah, and I think he's talking about type of redemption as well, because yeah. I think what he was getting at was, and I, I, I don't, I don't want to misrepresent what he was asking, but I think when he, when he was asking about experiential um, and, and, and so forth, that's an, in, an indication, I think, of brands trying to build a relationship with their members beyond just the currency of, of, of the program. Because I think what's actually happening in, in some cases, some members are getting either, um, they're, they're, they're feeling like they're, they're not being heard or they're not, uh, they're, they're not realizing a benefit that's meaningful enough. And in some cases, you'll have road warriors who are traveling all the time. And the last thing they're actually looking for is a free flight or a free room because they're kind of going, that's that's what I do. Um, and if they're, if they're road warriors, they might even be paying for their gas. So they probably don't want a discount either. 
Yeah, so what's, what actually happens then is you want to try and see if there are ways in which you can find options uh, that allow you to actually recognize them in a different way beyond just the travel experience. And with partnerships like events, sports, and so forth, you can do that. You can, you can all of a sudden enable some level of redemption into hard-to-get events um, that they ordinarily wouldn't have access to um, behind the, the, the curtain kind of meet and greet, uh, perhaps. Uh, and those actually do create memorable moments. And it does touch on the emotional loyalty piece because you walk away from that specific experience thinking that was brought to me by IHG Rewards Club. That was brought to me by um, Bonvoy. That was brought to me by Hilton Honors. And you, you start to think that I need to actually make sure that I stay connected to this brand because if I'm going to start experiencing things like this, then I see much more value in that than just the traditional mechanisms of loyalty. Um, and it, it also allows you to actually, I think, influence others um, by, you know, introducing people or companions that aren't necessarily members of those programs, when you're bringing them to those types of events um, as a companion uh, or a, a plus one, they start to see that actually there's some value here and maybe I should think about this if my travel patterns or spending patterns or whatever it may be, uh, permit me to do so. So yes, I, I do think that, that brands are looking beyond the traditional mechanisms, but I think that's far uh, to, to ensure that their, their most frequent um, guests, travelers, members are staying engaged with the brand. And I mean, it's a good point. Do, do you, um, Phil, do you think the move in airlines, is, airline redemptions has been driven by, um, by a customer thing or do you think it's driven by a liability thing? I mean, lots of people are saying we want to get the money off the liability, the, the, the cash off the liability therefore we want to drive redemptions therefore we go down the down the scale do you think it's oh i've seen i've seen many examples in airlines where through lack of understanding of the economics drives bad strategies and mm. bad strategies lead to bad customer outcomes which lead to bad economic outcomes for the for the airline ironically um so there's my, my my concern about this whole conversation, um, including this last little bit, is 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 the fact that we we are we're, we're thinking too much about ourselves. We're, we're, we're one of the things I I observe constantly is where where businesses think about what they need and what they um, want and what their economics are and etc. Um, they lose sight of what what the loyalty program is trying to do, which is actually get customers to to do to to engage and and through that engagement buy more. Because um, one of your questions before, Ian, was about does it vary by industry? The, the short answer is, of course, like it must do because because customers interfa interface with different industries across different industries are very, very different. But equally, I've seen within an industry there can be different programs. And with it, even within um, one company, you can have one program, but it's it's working very differently with different groups. And yeah, I've, I've definitely seen that I'm, and I, I would come in on that one in that the, the programs I've seen work best actually have a choice of rewards 
because you know I'm, I'm convinced that there are there are savers and spenders in the world, and savers collect over long long periods for known goals, and spenders want instant gratification or as or as soon as instant gratification, um, and I think you need to build a program that has that plays to all of those strings. Um, and I've seen some beautiful examples over time that one size doesn't always fit all. Um, Tesco's being a brilliant example, but you know the old Shell Drivers Club had a, was a great example as well. And and I think you know people, especially the youngsters, you know some some people want. You know, if you look at the spenders and savers piece, I've done this research in many markets and with many different customer groups, and it generally tends to be younger customers that go for that instant gratification um, and want the they they say they want discounts. I mean whether they actually want discounts in the end is a different matter but you know the i worry i do worry about about uh oversimplification though right so mm. i hear that a lot right but th this is my experience is when you look at when you go into a client and you look at the customer base within that customer base there is there's lots of different segments and most of them are based on stuff which isn't related to loyalty most of them are mm. based on so if you go back to the um fast food example there were some habitual, you know, people that were buying every single Friday, no matter what. There were other people that were were buying on um, a once a year, probably a birthday. There were there were, there were other people that were, were having sporadic uh, periods of buying and and, and not. Um, the program um, needed to be relevant to the, the, the those different groups of customers first, and the rewards need to be appropriate for for, for the different groups. Um, only then by understanding the customer groups and what they were doing normally and then what we were, were hoping they would do next could we design the program we, we didn't look at wherever people were what their, what their the thoughts are around buying and you know saving and, and spending because the interface the the way they work with the program was much more relevant to the actual product or the or the service or the industry or that the business that they were in as opposed to what whether they were ordinarily some some of these customers would probably be savers in an airline environment but in a fast food they were quite happy to get their extra side yeah, yeah. No, no, I, yeah. and, and I, on, I, you know i also think and we, we've kind of we've touched on this slide uh, uh, a little bit before but, you know, as Phil said, it, it differs by industry, but it actually also start, is starting to differ, I believe, uh, by generation. And mm -hmm. what we're actually starting to see now is people are, are, are looking for instant gratification on their, their wallets, uh, on their digital wallets and, and so forth. Whether that's a bounce back coupon immediately based on some sort of action um or whatever you're actually starting to see that happen now in real time where where people were looking at accumulators um before redemption now is becoming key and it's micro redemption that's becoming much more prevalent i think with the younger audience it's it's giving me something almost instantaneous but is the is the reward program the right vehicle for that or should there be uh is is there is there a way that the actual pricing or the or the core offer can take care of that need to be relevant and we need to be getting a good uh, offer now and then the loyalty program can be building something behind the scenes over time. Well, I mean that was the, that was the other thing that Anthony raised on in LinkedIn. He was saying, you know, is is good service and and instant, um, you know, good UI and UX 
um, simplicity actually trumping loyalty. And I, and I think as loyalty professionals, you know, we should be doing the, the, the things that drive the biggest change in behavior and, and engaging customers and keeping them longer and making them spend more. And, and I don't really care whether it's a loyalty program or not. I think yeah, it's but I, the right I, mechanic. Yeah, but I, but I actually, you know, to, to, to Phil's point and, and building on what you just said there, Ian, I think loyalty is actually a long game mm. um, and it doesn't work. It, it doesn't work kind of being separated and out on its own. It's got to be uh, working in partnership with all of these elements, whether it be the tactical marketing uh, uh, initiatives that are going on. And to Phil's point, loyalty is kind of working in the background. Um for a longer game and ensuring that we're continuing to engage members beyond just the transactional elements. Um, I think that's going to be important. I think well, there's a, it's, inter it's an interesting question. Sorry, Ian, to, to the question from LinkedIn. I mean, I, I think it's an interesting sentiment. I know all of us, you know, on the call now, we've, we've all encountered this with clients, you know, um, and in the, in the industry discussions. And that is, I think that there is this, um, you know, I, I think this, there, there is this conflation between loyalty programs and loyalty. Um, so loyalty programs as a proper noun, capitalized, and loyalty as, you know, as a, as a, as a simple, simple common adjective. Um, you know, or what things that we used to simply describe previously as core offering or brand strategy um, or simply, you know, providing good customer experience you know, it's almost a buzzword now in the industry that, oh, that's all about loyalty. Um, and I think there is this conflation between loyalty programs. I don't, and I, I don't want to quite go as far as to say formal loyalty programs because your loyalty program may simply be a, you know, maybe a data and personalization and communication strategy, you know, um, to be more relevant on an individual basis with your members. It doesn't necessarily have to be a traditional formal frequent flyer program style, uh, style program. But I think that is still a very, very different thing than simply talking about, you know, brand loyalty, making sure customers are having a satisfying experience when they're engaging with your brand and they're coming back and they're buying and they're, and they're engaging again or buying more often. Um, you know, one of them, you know, loyalty programs, you know, um, reward programs, whatever you want to call it, are all about customers, their emotions and their behavior. And if you are not changing behavior, then you may as well pack up and go home. But at the same time, you know, to Dave Kennedy's point just now, you can't separate them completely. You can't separate the brand and the loyalty program. The world's best, most generous loyalty program is not going to make up for a poor brand experience. So you can have a very generous airline frequent flyer program, but if your airline is hopeless and it cancels every other flight and it's you know it's a it's a really poor onboard experience, people are still going to fly the competitor airline even though they have an inferior loyalty program. A loyalty program cannot mask core operational deficiencies, whether you are a coffee shop, a auto retailer, or an airline, a hotel, or anything in between. No, that's true. It's true. Well, let's move on to the, the final section today. So what I'd like to do is each of us go around and if we can have two top tips for developing your redemption strategy. So David, oh, okay. you've just been David Feldman. Do you like to go first on that one? Two sure. top tips. So, so number one, number one, your mantra, you should write this on the wall in the office. Um, every new employee to your team, you know, needs to have this, you know, in, in big, bold letters on their desk. The reward proposition is what drives customer behavior. Um, it's all about that. 
Um, now, your reward proposition, it doesn't necessarily have to be, oh, you're going to earn a free flight or a free coffee or whatever else. It might be, hey, you think about places like Sephora, it might be, you know, members get, you know, members get a better experience in the store or members get a free makeover or something like that. It doesn't have to be discounting. It doesn't have to be a free physical product. Um, but your reward proposition is what drives customer behavior. That's the first point. The second point is ensure whatever your rewards are, whether they're uh, physical goods, whether they're experiential, whether it's hotel and airline, um, uh, free free rooms and free flights, the rewards that you offer need to be both uh, achievable and desirable. Okay, brilliant. Now, um, who who else would like to go next? I'll go. Um, very different. I would say two things. One, don't copy. So you can look at, look at other programs and get ideas, but don't assume that they're working for them and don't assume that they would work for you. And the second is understand the economics um, at a quite a granular level. So you, you, would, you should look at different gr- customer groups within your customer base. So the, uh, the super frequent, the infrequent, the, uh, the people that love you and uh, et cetera. Um, and then understand how the economics works with each different group. And you may well find that, you're, it's, that the rewards is costing you with some group and you're getting return on others. But it should be, it should be quite granular. You should be able to build it up based on some really basic, simple, first principle maths and understand, is it going to work for you or not? I had that done on my list too. I said, do the science, you know, do the work, do the analytics, because you need to understand why customers are joining, why they're collecting, why they're redeeming, and you, why they're redeeming, and how you can retain them, and 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 do the maths because you know you'll soon you need to understand what those drivers are and get your prices right. Brilliant, David Canty. How about you? How about you? Uh, great. Um, so I'm glad that that Phil spoke about the the uh, economics. I think obviously that's an underlying pillar that everybody's got to ensure they have. But my two. Um, Assuming that we're, we adopt all of the, all of the, the great things that have already been said, uh, would be be true to your brand, and ensure that the program or the loyalty uh, initiatives that you're you're embarking on are a reflection of your brand, uh, whether it be the core values of your brand or what you your brand actually stands for. The program's got to be absolutely true to that and reflective of it. Uh, number two, make sure that your employees, all the way up to the CEO and the frontline crew, uh, frontline employees, understand the program, believe in it, and get benefit from it. Because once they do, then they become the the advocates for it on the front lines, um, and that creates. Um, a, a way for you to to create a conversation directly with customers at every level. Perfect. And if I just end end it with my two, so my two would be give a mix of rewards. I'm convinced that savers and spenders exist. Um, I think it's you wired up. I also think that you, I can be a saver in one program and a saver in another program. But you, but I would try to appeal to both. And my final one is saying don't ignore non-redeemers. You can have customers that are very very engaged in the program. They could be multi-collecting across multiple partners. And actually, they haven't redeemed. And that doesn't mean they're not engaged. So don't ignore them. So that's just about all we have time for this evening. So thank you very much to David, Phil and David. It really couldn't happen without your valuable input. So thank you very much. If you like this podcast, please like, share and comment on LinkedIn using the hashtag LoyaltyPodcast. 
And thank you very much for listening. And we'll be back soon with another podcast. So thank you very much and good night.